Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 51 Nuclear Family. The Strategic Air Command's intercontinental bombers are on alert. Three Polaris submarines, each carrying 16 nuclear missiles, leave their Holylock Scotland base and disappear into the Atlantic. 1,000 tactical bombers are poised in Florida minutes from their Soviet missile sites in Cuba. Max said something about, I'm here selling bomb shelters to make money to finish school. Well, you know, that's a good business to go into. This October 26, 1962 is right at the height. Cuban Missile Crisis, I know. We all thought maybe it was the end of the world. And Sam, I gotta tell you, you don't realize how close we came to World War III. I mean, total annihilation. You see that gun? Someone in the family gets shot? No, the neighbor, Bert Rosecrans. Ziggy says there's a 99% chance that you're here to keep him from getting blown away. I mean, this Cuba thing is really going to happen. Bert, now just take it easy. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not! There were miles of troops, all armed. I've got to get a shelter. My God, it's happening. Come on, in the shelter. Let's go, now! Okay. Oh, yeah, we need to jump the phone, What's going on? Right. Move, Max. We're going to shelter. Stevie, where are you going? Stevie. 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 And I'm Matt Dale. Matt Dale. Matt Dale is back. Yay! Who's that British guy? I am back <laughs> after my absence. Hey guys, I did say several weeks back that we were going to have uh, a few discussions of uninterrupted classics. So uh, in order to stick to that, I really had to dip out from the heart of a champion. <laughs> so the, the, the three of us are having an uninterrupted run of, uh, of classics. You said you liked it all right, though, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, in yeah. your yeah, impressions. Yeah, yeah. Unless you were lying, Matt. <gasps> Liar. No, I like it. I just have a feeling you guys probably like it less than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Like, it, well, that's probably true. But um, <laughs> hello, hello, guys. He- my favorite episode. Why are we still talking about Heart of a Champion? Sorry. Yeah, my favorite yeah, yeah. episode. <laughs> Talk about your favorite episode. You've, you've probably been super excited for weeks. Fanfare. Let's cue the fanfare. Yeah, yeah. 
And there was much rejoicing. Hi, everyone. This is Chris. Did you happen to know that Nuclear Family is my favorite Quantum Leap episode? I don't know if I've said it enough, but I am so happy to be talking about this episode because I... It's funny. There there are episodes that I like equally as much, but they're more fan-driven episodes, and we're coming up to two very big ones. But this is just got to be my favorite sort of straight episode, like a straight leap that doesn't really have to do with Sam's history or Al's history, but just Sam in a situation trying to make something right that once went wrong and, you know, hoping that his next leap would be the leap home. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but... I've been waiting to talk about this one on the Quantum Leap podcast for quite a while because there are just so many things about it that I absolutely adore. And guys, I mean, how do you feel about this episode? I actually just watched this episode before we recorded, so it's it's fresh on my mind. Um, before this, uh, I didn't really have any strong thoughts on Nuclear Family. Um, like, it, it was a solid episode, but not really one I think about too much. But watching it back and really paying attention to it this time, I noticed a lot of things that I really appreciated about it. And I, I think I liked it more now than I did before. And maybe I was paying a little more attention because Chris said it was his favorite. And I was like, really? Like, Nuclear Family? All right. And and watching it back, I can see why. Like, uh, I, I think I have a different perspective on it now. Yeah, yeah, you, you you just took mine. Um, yeah, I, I've, <laughs> I, I've always thought of this as being one of those, and there's a lot of quantum leaps like this where you, first impressions are, yeah, good, solid episode, nothing wrong with it. Next, uh-huh. but yeah, uh, I I just watched this again this afternoon, and I watched it with the knowledge that uh, it was Chris's favorite. And I got to admit, when when I saw in in the show notes that Chris had said it's his favorite, I thought. That's that's a joke, right? Family's not anyone's favorite. Well, if he said Piano Man, it would be even more of a joke. (laughs) Sherlock! So I I went into it quite cynical and trying to find bits to dislike so that I could have a good old argument with Chris. Um, Just to be a contrarian? Yeah, damn right. Uh, I hope you guys do the same when it comes to my favorite, and I know you will. Um... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a good solid episode. Um, it's not one that stuck with me uh, over the years, but I certainly appreciated it on the rewatch and um, I'm looking forward to having a discussion about it today. So Chris, can you explain why this one's your favourite? Yeah, I mean, not only to me is it really a, just a solid episode of Quantum Leap, but it sparked so many, I don't know, memories, some nostalgia of things that when I was like a preteen going into teenage years that I found very formative in the way I started to view the world. You're not that old, are you? Are you oh, well, older okay. than I thought? I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm older than you guys. I'm 48. Being the elder of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you... Um, how much you remembered about things like this, because obviously you weren't around during, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis, but um, throughout the 80s, uh, there yes. was still a lot of stuff about the Cold mm-hmm. War and the Soviet Union and, yeah. and nuclear annihilation that was yeah. very prevalent through the whole time. And I got to tell you, when I was a young kid, like 11, 12, 13 years old, I was terrified of a nuclear war. 
it was ever present as sort of this just it was just this looming specter of doom that was hanging over everything it was the reagan years we were not getting along with russia as evidenced by um some terrific rocky movies I must break you. and it was like russia was the boogeyman and mm. I really thought that we could have a nuclear war mm. at any time. So take that sort of paranoia from young Chris um, during those, those, those years in the 80s. Now, right around the same time that that was happening, I um, was, yeah, I was sharing a room with my brother. And we had this little black and white TV in the room. And on Friday nights, I would just start watching TV because I've always been a night owl. And there was this program on um, late at night on, I believe it was USA Network called Night Flight. And you have to remember, this was before YouTube, before the internet, when, you know, video was seen once and then you, you were lucky if you ever saw it again because it just wasn't available. And Night Flight was like this weird thing that played a lot of music and heavy metal stuff, but it would always juxtapose different old footage from like 50s movies. And one of the things that they would play in their rotation were bits and pieces from Duck and Cover, which we saw in this episode. There was a turtle by the name of Bert, and Bert the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. He's duck and cover. Duck and cover. Sometimes the bomb might explode without any warning. Then the first thing we would know about it would be the flash. And that means duck and cover fast, wherever you are. There's no time to look around or wait. Be like Bert. When there is a flash... Duck and cover and do it fast. It intrigued me because it was just so ludicrous that, you know, you would see this flash, this blinding flash, and people would hide under a blanket, much like Sam says in the episode. Duck and cover, yeah, it teaches the, the picnic blankets work wonders against nuclear bombs or atom bombs or something like that. There is some science behind that. We might come to that later. All right. Well, that's fine. I mean, if you're going to prevent flash burns, I guess, a little mm. bit. And I'm sure there is some science because they wanted to give people some sense of something you could do to maybe protect yourself. But it just struck me as ludicrous at the time. And on top of that, I don't remember if it was Night Flight or if USA just went weird and cult at night. They would play all of the footage from the nuclear tests. So you would see those mm. atomic tests out there in the middle of the Pacific and just those mushroom clouds coming out of nowhere and it just blew me away i was like oh my god just the sheer power of 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 science like what we can do to destroy this world it really brought home the fear that i felt about okay the bomb could drop tomorrow and it's weird it got me thinking in a lot of different ways and this is why Nuclear Family sort of like brought all that back when I saw it, because not only when I was seeing the duck and cover stuff, realizing how ludicrous it was, but it, it got me thinking about the power of language and how with a spin, you could make something horrendous seem survivable, not so bad, and how people bought into it because I would ask my mom about that. I would say, you were alive back then. And she said, yeah, I remember when we were kids in school, we used to have drills. The, the siren would go off and we would hide under our desks at school. And I was like, what is that going to accomplish? You know, but <laughs> it was just what they did. Hmm. And it's funny because when I was rewatching the episode, 
the leap in when Sam is in the the gas mask. It's not so much in in this episode, but it's actually the leap out of Heart of a Champion. He's in the gas mask all the time. It's kind of a different take if you look at them back to back. Mm -hmm. And when I was editing Heart of a Champion and putting that leap out and leap into Nuclear Family, the most ever-present sound in that entire leap in is the sound of the air raid siren. Just Mm. going... I can imagine if you were a kid in the 50s and that started going off, you probably shit your pants because you, you, you didn't know. So it's partly that it's partly that when I was watching this stuff overnight on USA, it also sparked an interest with, say, like cult video, cult cinema. Like, like I was saying before, back in 83, 84, I think, I guess, when I was watching this stuff, there was no YouTube. You saw something mm. once and there was no access to it again. And I got so interested in sort of those Cold War tropes and politics and how we demonized the other that when I was in journalism school, I did a whole project on American propaganda during the Second World War. And there was this whole thing. It was, it was a video series called Why We Fight. And it was made by Frank Capra. Uh, the guy behind It's a Wonderful yeah. Life. Yeah. And he, I mean, they were they were basically demonizing Hitler, which is easy, demonizing Mussolini, calling him a clown. But the things that they said about the Japanese soldiers, how, you know, basically they turned the Japanese into subhuman animals, saying they tortured, mm. starved, and murdered American prisoners of war. And you actually see a cartoon of a Japanese soldier tossing a baby up and skewering it on its bayonet. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, that, again, it was sort of like the continuation of what I saw in Duck and Cover along with the nuclear test footage sparked that interest. Then I saw this and it just, it it was like everything that was gelling within me that was important to me because I was a writer and that's the kind of stuff that got me Mm -hmm. into like journalism school because it was just like shaping ideas. So I know I'm rambling here, guys. I'm sorry, but it's, it's almost like so much compacted into one moment that really shaped the way I looked at stuff and the interests that I had. Because think of it this way, my, my interest in the Cold War really sparked my interest in the space race. So I know much more about the space race than I ever would have, I think, based on seeing those, just, just those clips of the duck and cover stuff on Night Flight, because I got interested in, in, in our relationship with Russia and how that was shaped through the War of Words. And Quantum Leap touched on that during um, Future Boy with Sputnik. So it's an area of history that has always fascinated me in, in many ways. It's like this rich vein that I just keep finding more and more in on different levels, whether it be the space geek in me, whether it be the word geek in me, whether it just be the cult cinema guy. And, you know, that, that love of sort of finding this cinema that nobody knows about. It's underground. There's no such thing as underground anymore because you can get anything at any time, anywhere. All you got to do is type it into Google. So when I saw this episode, it was like bringing back all of those formative memories of things that that sort of made me who I am. And when Sam is in there in the shelter with that mask on and 
at the very end when he says you could be selling fun instead of fear. <laughs> it's just like this is such a distillation of what was happening then. And I, I know I'm rambling, so I, w- I want to give you guys a chance to interject here. You, you're not rambling. I'm just thinking when we get to my favorite episode, I need to come up with a much stronger argument for it. <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> that that was some pretty heavy stuff. And, well, um, but he, and and here's what I'm saying. It's like I know that you guys like it's to to many people. It's just a run of the mill episode of Quantum Leap. But I bring to it such personal baggage that absolutely. it sparks within me that I don't expect that you would feel the same way about it because it just speaks to me on so many different personal levels that I, I can't help but love it the best. And that's that's what a favorite episode should be. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting take on it. This is uh, giving us some great insight about you, Chris. Stuff <laughs> yeah. that, that I didn't know, you know. And I, I think one of the running things throughout this episode isn't just the fact that this was a moment in time. Um there are many moments in time. History repeats itself. They don't just talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis. They're talking about the Dust Bowl. They're talking about the Holocaust. Mm. They're talking about, yeah. um, you know, the Cold War continuing into the 80s, which was around the time that this was airing. So it makes sense that it would resonate with you because even though this takes place in the 60s, it still has a lot of things that still rang true when it aired and still ring true today. Yeah. I thought that was just really interesting melding all of those things mm. together because while they they don't seem exactly related they are mm. and when this episode aired history was still going on i mean it, like obviously history's always going but um the cold war had just ended or was just ending mm. uh, communism yeah. had just fallen you know the fact that sam was talking about russians as people was still not done as much because, like, around, you know, the 80s, the Russians were the villains. You know, that's why you see Uh in, like, wrestling storylines. You know, we were watching the wrestling episode. (laughs) The Russians were the villains, you know. And uh, it was just very interesting for them to take a look at that with that perspective in this episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you guys – again, I don't know – where you were in the early 80s if you uh, – Allison, were you even even born then? I was born in December 89. Oh, wow. Oh. oh, my God. I'm so old. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, we, we'll come back to that in a bit. I think I've got a question for you. But um, Okay. Yeah, so... You want to know something? Now, here's a connection Allison and I share. She was born the same exact month that I met my wife. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. But anyway, Matt, go on. No, I was just going to say, so this... Um, yeah, I'm I'm young enough and British enough that I, I remember the Cold War, but just as something that was happening on TV. And so I, I saw this when it first aired. But it, yeah, I, I think I was possibly just a couple of years too young to really make those kind of connections. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I was aware of the Cold War. And yeah, the the resonation that you talk about um, in terms of the fact that, yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't over the, the the stuff that they're talking about in the episode was still going on well into the 80s um i remember it it, it never quite clicked but it i i could tell at the time when i was watching it this is this is one of these science fiction stories that is trying to tell us something about the world today using a science fiction premise and i i got that yeah and well i i obviously didn't get it quite in the same way you did but um yeah i i could certainly appreciate that at the time and all the 
we were kind of on on the cusp, and and this this is why I'd, I'd be really interested in hearing Alison as the baby of the group. Um, <laughs> well, we've we've heard from the old timer. I think it's. I think, uh, the, the, I, and I have a the, lot more the, to say. The topic I just... want to go into is. <laughs> it's something really for the uh, for for Alison because I I was sort of I was there for the the birth of the the World Wide Web and propaganda has taken on a whole different shape since then. Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of stuff that Sam's talking about, where he's saying you know the the Russians are normal, they're they're humans, they've got families, they've got dogs. Um, it's much hard. It happens for sure, but it's much harder now. Um, for people to peddle that kind of the, the kind of propaganda um, that an entire culture is evil, mm. we're we're because of the internet and because we can talk to people on the other side of the world so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're a lot more clued up now that okay, there are there are bad governments and there are bad people in power, but kids of of the ages that are being portrayed here, they seem to be brought up in a world now where they they understand that actually there's these these different levels and it's not quite as simple to say that everyone who is Russian is bad or everyone who is German is bad or whatever. And I I kind of saw that change throughout my life. Alison, maybe you you came in, you, you were born just as that was happening. So I'd be interested in knowing if you really experienced that as a child, do you remember a time where it seemed commonplace to victimise an entire culture? As I say, I, I know that happens here and there anyway, but... Um, or to to be so extremely afraid of an other, whatever that yes. other is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone uh, grows up experiencing something like that. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember, like you know, growing up, we had the computer room with you know everyone <laughs> sharing the internet and stuff. So I mean, like the internet yeah. was you know just starting to become a thing, yeah. you know, yeah. with me as well. So it wasn't like I was mm. immediately connected to a cell phone or whatever. But um, <laughs> you didn't you didn't come but, out with the movie nights theme. Yeah, out of your mouth. <laughs> well, the movie nights theme is very very eighties. Um, yeah. <laughs> very soft. <laughs> but oh I my think, god, like, the movie nights theme is actually before your time, isn't it? I, ha- I was only just connected. That's like seventies music is to me. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry shut on. up both of you. But I think like something something that they bring up <laughs> Or 40s music to Chris, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I happen to love anyway. Yeah, there we go. But, but you know, I think a lot of us kind of grow up with things that that we didn't live for, you know, because a lot of the things like the media that you consume is from the time before you because, you know, there's a lot of reruns. So I saw a lot of 80s things, a lot of 90s things, and you know, um, you still have that in in your culture in your mind but i think like this episode brings up something that's still true today regarding children and what they think of uh, the other even though we're more connected now you still have to tell your children to accept other people and and children mm-hmm. absorb what their parents tell them so especially with the trump administration and uh and all that being so prevalent now kids do get raised to think like you know oh because they're brown they must be terrible or they must be poor or you know any other thing like that so we still encounter it now in different ways and uh, you know the kids in this were being told you know like oh the russians are going to come blow you up and they're all evil and um mm-hmm. you still get that with kids now you have to to teach them to do the right thing i just feel like it's it, it it's 
I hope it's a harder sell now. I imagine propaganda in in those days was a much easier sell. Probably. Um, having having studied it a little bit, I do see a definite evolution, and I like it, it's. I don't want to trivialize, but this is a legitimate art form, and I think a legitimate component of this conversation. When you think of golden age comics. You think of Superman punching a Nazi in the face, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that was perfectly acceptable back mm-hmm. in the 40s mm-hmm. because the Nazis really weren't the Germans, even though they were the Krauts, mm-hmm. the Jerrys, whatever. But Nazism was an ideal that we just found abhorrent, and, and it came with its own regalia. It came with its own costume. It came with its own signifiers. So if you see someone in, the, in that brown uniform with a swastika, you're not punching that soldier. You're punching the ideal that that uniform mm-hmm. stands for. Okay, now fast forward to 2001. Um, I remember being at the TV station when the towers came down. And about six months, eight months, maybe 10 months later, one of the comic book companies released a comic of one of their heroes. I, it, was, it was an offbeat. It wasn't a Marvel or DC, but maybe trying to cash in, maybe trying to, to plug into that 40s mentality of one of the heroes punching an Arab in the face. And it just doesn't work now because mm-hmm. we know that, yeah. you know, Arab people live in a society and that's what that society wears. It's not like an evil government bent on world mm. domination that's invading yeah. all the countries around it and murdering those that doesn't fit in with its ideal. It's these were some extremists that hijacked the plane and you are branding an entire culture because of who they are. So there was a huge increase in in uh, violence against people from the Middle East or anyone who looked like they might be after 9-11. I mean, I'm sure there was, but I don't think that the country bought it as wholesale as they did in the 40s when World War II was over there, over there. We're going to stomp on Hitler. We're going to stomp on Mussolini and forget about those Japs. (laughs) Well, if I can draw some comparisons here, um, after... World War II, you had the Japanese internment camps mm-hmm. because people were afraid, you know, they were like that. Um, mm-hmm. And now uh, we have camps that kids are being held in immigrants. Mm. It still yeah. happens, you know, even yeah. though you change the method of communication, there still is prejudice and bigotry and people in power that have propaganda in different ways. You know, you have Facebook now to have fake stories to tell people, you know, like, look at what these evil brown people did, you know, like, it just takes different forms. But the camps that you're talking about, there is a lot of public outrage about that. Yes. And, you know, more people now can definitely, like, talk about these things and spread Mm -hmm. the right information. I think that is an improvement from back then when you could just bury it and and no one could talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sort of to to maybe add to that, Alison, Today, you will have a contingent of people who believe in whatever is behind that bigotry, whatever is behind that racism, whatever is behind that that abhorrent behavior. But I think the vast majority of people will rise up against it because they can, because they understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's much more nuanced now. Like Matt said, we have the internet, it connects the world. It's impossible yeah. to not get to know people 
on the other side of the globe. It's impossible mm -hmm. to live in the vacuum that a lot of people lived in in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and even in the 80s when you had one mass media apparatus and all of your information came through that. It was very easy to shape the story when you had very few channels in which the story could flow. And I mean, think about people in the 40s got their information from newsreels and radio reports. Mm -hmm. So how much, and I get, you know, and of course newspapers, but how much hard hitting sort of um, nuanced stuff is going to go on with that? Whereas today you have somebody literally filming something live on the ground for everyone to see. So there's no mm -hmm. gatekeeper anymore. You and think I think like that's that's the change, you know? I mean, there are people putting out as much disinformation or hatred mm -hmm. or bigotry as there ever were, but the gatekeepers are gone. So there's no one to say, this is right, this is wrong. Everybody can decide for themselves. I'm not saying that everybody decides right. I'm just saying that there's much more opportunity now for people to, oh, I don't know, think for themselves. Yeah. That makes there's sense. more opportunity for discussion and debate. Yes. Okay. That's that's probably a better way to put it, Matt. But we'll, go ahead, Elsa. You were going to ask. Um, do you think something like what happened in this episode, the fact that, um, you know, someone panicked and turned out the power and they started a drill and everyone thought, you know, oh, no, this is it. This is the end of the world. Do you think something like that would be less likely to happen today because people were, would be able to be like to check in on this, you know, pick up your phone, look at Twitter. Is something happening? <laughs> Yeah. No, you know? obviously, obviously it wouldn't happen today. And I like to think about, um, I mean, a lot of novels that I read and a lot of um, movies that we watched in the 80s, whatever, they would be completely um, moot now because cell phone, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, sure. It, <laughs> yeah. Cell phones help uh, fix a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, every time I watch a movie from, yeah, from that time, it's like, I think if they just had cell phones, there would be no movie. <laughs> Um, and it, it's, it's as simple as that, Alice. And you're right, because what's the first thing you do when power goes out? You check the internet, you check your phone because it's independent of anything else that's going on in the house. So as long as you can get a network, even if you don't have your modem, you can still be on the network and you can still find out what the hell is going on. Whereas these people were literally and figuratively in the dark and they, mm -hmm. they're just primed to be terrified. Mm -hmm. They set this thing in Florida very deliberately because Cuba's right on their doorstep. Mm -hmm. They made it a point to say this is a, it's 200 miles away. 200 what miles, you, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, 200 miles away is – I can't even get to Albany 200 miles away. You know, like like it, it, it's almost mind-boggling how close Cuba and Florida are. Mm. And it, it, it's just – to set it there is like a perfect way to just stir up the paranoia because they literally, it was right at their doorstep. And it's funny because Sam even talks about the differing points of view in this episode. He said he remembers his mom canning things like crazy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But they were in Elkridge. They weren't by any major cities. So it just seemed kind of far away. Mm. And mm -hmm. I, again, I, I hate to evoke the specter of 9-11. But it happened right here, right where I am. And I remember, you know, that uh, we, it, it seemed to me that we held on to that hurt a lot longer and that fear a lot longer than a lot of the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, I don't want to be like high horse elitist about it. I'm just saying what I felt at the time. Mm 
mm-hmm. because sure. I mean, I literally saw two structures that I've seen my whole life that my dad helped build collapse to the ground. So it was it was very personal. Mm. So on a rewatch, that's another thing that struck me about this episode, sort of in, in hindsight, when you have that proximity and just just how you how that can alter the way you feel about something. Another very strong part of the episode, another reason why I think that it it ages very well, because there's always fear. And this episode, it's about anything. It's about the politics of fear and Mm -hmm. and the ramifications of fear. And fear takes on any form that you can think of, and this episode will speak to it no matter what. So I just love it even more now, because on a rewatch, I thought, am I I looking at this with rose-colored glasses? Because of who I was when I first saw it, I was idealistic college kid thinking of the 14-year-old who had become that college kid, and now I'm hitting 50. Will it speak to me the way it did? I was a little bit worried because I hadn't seen it in years, years and years. And I have to tell you, I was on the edge of my seat at the end of the episode when Bert is trying to break into the Mm. shelter, and the kid sees him as the Russian with the rifle. Yeah, and it brought everything back to me. And it just, did I mention just the visuals in this are amazing? That was yeah, great. Yeah, I, I was hoping someone was going to mention that because that, that that moment where there's the, the smoke behind Bert and the silhouette is one of the visuals that I, when I, I first watched Quantum Leap and I, I wasn't videoing any of it so I, I watched it in the early 90s and then didn't see any of it again for years that visual stuck with me so much until I got until the DVDs came out Stevie Stevie put the gun down Stevie put down the gun watch out Hercules the direction so it's a Really powerful moment. And there's plenty of powerful moments in the episode. But uh, yeah, that was a, a really nice touch by the director. And think of the subtle brilliance of, of casting someone like Kurt Fuller in the role mm. as Bert. Because he's, Allison, once again, is one of Allison's that guys. He's in He's a that everything. guy. He <laughs> is in everything. We were joking before we got on mic that we can't get Kurt Fuller for the podcast because he's busier than Scott Bakula. <laughs> he's got like 200 some credits. He really is in everything. Like I, I remember him from like Ghostbusters Two, yeah. uh, Supernatural, Supernatural, exactly. And he's yeah. great too. He's a pro. Like every time, like he always puts in a solid performance. But think of someone that if you just thought of like milk toast, mousy looking guy, someone that is so sort of geeky and gawky and lanky that the kids make fun of him as Bert the Turtle. Mm-hmm. All right, so he is a complete non-threat mm-hmm. by the end of the episode. He is evil incarnate. And it, yeah. again, it shows you the power of fear. This kid who was just laughing at this across-the-street neighbor sees him all of a sudden as the biggest threat to the safety of himself and his family. And it's, it's very subtle. I never even realized it until we were talking about it right now, but how brilliant that is, just, just the way they subverted that entire thing as the episode went on because of the paranoia. So... I know that we're talking in very broad terms. Do you guys want to talk more about the episode itself? Because there are specific things, again, that I've seen that on top of the, the formative stuff that really, that really stand out to me as excellent parts of the story and that I'd like to get into a little bit deeper. 
there's nothing I really want to prompt because, um, yeah, I, I, for me, it's it's generally an all round good episode. I don't think even rewatching it today, there was anything specifically that jumped out at me, okay. um, unless we we start talking about some of the discussions with the kids, maybe. There were specific scenes that I really liked. I mean, like overall, it was great. They had uh, the scene where Sam's comforting Stevie uh, mm-hmm. at, at, near the window at night. And the kids looking out there wondering, like, how far Cuba is from them, like, how long mm. they have to live if a nuclear missile is coming for them. And and Sam is telling him, you know, let's pretend that we're in the future and everything's fine now. Let's just pretend that you can travel into the future and look back on this time right now. You'll see that the Russians never hurt you or your family. And you'll see that you were spending a lot of your time and energy being afraid of something bad that never happened. And I thought that was such a great, intimate little scene. Like, you felt like he was related to him in some way. Like, and it was, um, I don't know, I just liked the way the, the scene looked and felt. Yeah. That was a wonderful scene. And for Sam to be able to crystallize it down to those basics to make that kid feel better in terms that he could understand, yet not talk down to him. Um, just another gem in this episode, full of gems. And that that discussion, I mean, sure, that's that's about a very weighty topic, but I, I think the advice he's giving is so wonderfully generic. It, it can be used in any kind of situation. People people worry about things that haven't happened yet, and it, it, say you you can you can talk about this in terms of very serious situations you can talk about this in terms of very light situations but people worry about things that haven't happened and sometimes it's important just to say let's not worry about this right now let's imagine we're in the future looking back and realizing everything's everything's okay and you know maybe sometimes things don't turn out okay but it's it's useful to be able to get that perspective and i like that scene from that point of view not even just from the the perspective of all out war just as general mm. good life advice and it's hard when you're in a crisis like that, when you don't know if life is just going to end at any moment, mm-hmm. if you can go on and live your life normally. And, you know, you see that with like the mom making the Halloween costume, like, I don't know yeah. if I should even finish it, she might not even be able to wear it. And I think some people, they talked about it a little bit in the episode, Al had lines about it, about duck and cover. And even though there is some science behind it, um, Sometimes you just have to think about what little you can control. Sometimes the good thing about it isn't that it's going to do much. It's that it's it's just peace of mind to think you can control something. And, you know, they had the, the lines about um, Sam remembering his mom canning like crazy. Um, because, you know, if the world ends, at least, you know, we're going to have a lot of food. Um, right. I remember around uh, 1999 when Y2K was this big looming thing and everyone Mm. thought all the power is going to go out, all technology is going to turn off. Uh, We're going to have to basically just store everything and start over again. You know, the world could end. And I remember my mom canning, like we still Mm -hmm. have cans in the basement from (laughs) 2000 trying to prepare for Y2K. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So that's sort of like, it relates to like, some of it mm. struck me as things familiar to my life, even if it isn't quite the same context. 
But as much as I love that scene between Sam and I want to say Stevie, it was Stevie. Um, they didn't shy away from the other side of the coin. And this is another thing that kind of speaks to me personally about this episode. But that scene in the shelter with Mrs. Klingman and Sam saying, don't worry. And then he sees the tattoo on her arm and he says, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It was the words. Don't worry. They're not going to attack us. I heard those words before. I believed. But look at what happened. Dachau. Buchenwald. I mean, just again, going deep into the life of Chris, um, I've been with my wife almost 30 years. She has been, ever since I've met her, uh, very interested in the Holocaust. And I would say the library that I'm podcasting from right now, I'm looking at all her books. She probably has a Holocaust library that rivals or surpasses Holocaust libraries and Holocaust centers. I have so many books about the Holocaust. That is one of her passions, just learning about that point in history. And watching this episode with her for the first time, because she would watch Quantum Leap. She liked Quantum Leap. And, but she knew it was like my show. So she would watch it because I enjoyed it. But the first time she saw that scene and the tattoo comes up, she gasped. And it was just like yet another thing about this episode that clicked into place that, that became such a strong memory for me because it was a time when she made a connection with it. And the fact that they did bring up that specter of, oh no, 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 the worst can happen. And it did happen. Mm. And don't tell her any different because she lived through it, despite the odds. So you 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 can have I. So many times on TV, I think that they would have approached this as remember how scared we were back then, and ha ha ha, it was so silly because look where we are now. But they always kept it in this episode within the context of the time. Even though Sam knew everything was going to be okay, everything around him was pointing in the other direction. And then he had this this basic, this this cold water thrown in his face, saying, I'm sitting here trying to comfort everyone, and look at where she just came from. Mm. So it, it was just another level on this episode that was just like, Wow. It, it's working all over again in a completely different way. And I got to say, Paul Brown, golf clap, man, because holy crap. I mean, I just find more and more to like every time I watch this episode. And that's without even getting into the radio stuff. So it's just like... <laughs> there, was, um, the, there was one new element for me this time, Um from any previous watches that also has to do with the uh, um, going back to the topic of Sam trying to comfort the kids. Um, last time I watched this, I was not a parent myself. Um, and I I feel very strongly um, that Sam is doing absolutely the right thing. You shouldn't raise kids to be afraid of things they can't control. Mm-hmm. Yes, by all means, give them give them warnings about life, about things they should and shouldn't do to actually keep themselves safe. But when it comes to things like this, the Cuban Missile Crisis, there's nothing they can do. Don't raise them to be afraid. But this is the first time I've watched this episode as a parent, and I felt a lot of sympathy for Mac, purely on the basis that his brother's coming in and basically saying, I don't don't agree with the way you're raising your kids. Mm. This is how I think you should be raising your kids, and I'm going to undermine you 
at every possible moment. And as much as I th- I think Sam is in the right, as I think he's obviously presented as being in the right, um, I also feel if somebody came along and tried undermining me and trying to teach my kid, however well-meaning, the complete opposite of what I was trying to teach them, um, that would get to me. And that wasn't something that I'd really, I'd really seen previously and I didn't have that that emotional connection until this time round. Um, so that, yeah, that spoke to me in a, in, in a new way. And that was, that was quite interesting for me. I never thought about it that way, but, um, I think that character, he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, he was creating the, the shelters there. He thought like he was protecting his family. And he even talks about how he felt as a kid, during the mm. Dust Bowl, watching what happened with his father, and he wanted to to do the right thing by his kids. So, of course, he would think Sam's doing the wrong thing by not protecting them. Like, why wouldn't you try and sell this stuff? Why are you trying to tell them it's going to be okay when it's not? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the villains, if you want to call them that in this case, the villains of Quantum Leap are always very sympathetic. You can always understand the, the perspective they're coming from. He's not really a villain, though. Um, he's he's the closest to an antagonist in the episode. He is the one that's that's creating that fear that the episode is all about. Mm-hmm. So, oh well, no, uh, you know what? He's not creating the fear. He's living through it and reacting to it. Yeah, and he is doing what he thinks is best for his children. And I want to just call out a special call out to Timothy Carhart. That's who played Mac mm. Elroy. He was good. He, he was yeah. amazing in this he episode. Was so good. Every scene he nailed. Mm-hmm. Even the scenes where you can see it's just obvious ADR when they're outside <laughs> in the beginning. I mean, it still came across as somewhat realistic, but he was he was just he nailed every scene. And I, I loved his performance in this. Even, you know, um who was it? Uh, Kim Kim Flowers. As Kate was great, she only had like one or two scenes where she was able mm-hmm. to really emote. Um, of course, Kurt Fuller, but even the kids were really good in this. And yeah. usually, you know, well, you know we've seen, Tursa, we've seen, yeah, we've the seen bullet. <laughs> the bullet. <laughs> like when you see that, and then you see that, you're like, whoa, night and day. You know, it's like you got Buffy and Sissy over here, and I'm just it's family affair. I don't know what their names were. It was it Stevie and who was the girl, the little girl. Uh, but anyway, family affair. Even, what? Oh, you're talking about the character names. It was in reruns when I was a kid. Mr. French, Buffy, Sisty, Brian Keith was in it. Hardcastle and McCormick. Anyway, um, old yeah, man. I, I gotta say the. Um, <laughs> what are you gonna the, say, uh, Matt? The 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 little. I I don't like being down on child actors, um, but the little girl got given some lines she really couldn't handle. Um, she reminded me but, of like Drew her, Barrymore. She, she's very yeah, Drew Barrymore yeah, in, in ET vibes for me. I was yeah, thinking yeah. of Tabitha Stevens on Bewitched. It's you know what they had like the quintessential little sixties kids there though, right? Like they yeah, had I the know, little blonde ridiculous. girl in pigtails. Yeah. And they had the little cowboy. I liked that they had a dog named Sam. I liked that the dog <laughs> had a poncho as well. <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> um, I I have a question. I don't know what the validity to this is. Um, <laughs> if if the dog bites the shotgun shells, they could explode. Could that happen? I, that sounded plausible to me. I I don't know. I, how how hard and fast is that dog biting? I guess I'm just imagining like this scenario playing out. The dog bites down and then <laughs> like I don't. <laughs> it I just can't picture it in my head. 
We'll have to get a ballistics expert on the line for that one, but I guess well, okay, so was let's this see how directed by Paul Verhoeven. I mean, it, it's so <laughs> it just seemed like a like it. It was so serious the scene that they're like, "Come on, doggy, let go of the shells. Come on, come on, don't ruin, Sam. don't like, ruin nuclear family. Don't do it." <laughs> I just didn't really like it was kind of a silly scene to me, even though I don't know, it could be true. Like it might be as ridiculous as it was, they were in danger, but it seemed right, maybe Googling, it was a little Googling, tacked Googling. on. Um can a dog can, <laughs> can a, a dog. dog biting on shotgun shells. But again, it's t- while you're Googling that, it's Timothy Carhart's performance. I, I bought it. I actually never questioned that until you just asked that now. Um, because he's he takes it so seriously. He's I yeah, and I then thought, there's okay. Sam with like the little rubber rat, like oh come on, take the toy. <laughs> Even Al is like kind of like standing there, like he could be shot via dog bite any moment. Like it's strange. <laughs> Are you physically able to set off a bullet by biting it? Hmm, let's see. There's bound to be someone on YouTube. It's a Reddit that. thread. It's a Reddit thread. So uh, it's okay, probably, well, it's probably going to devolve into some kind of hatred in no time. But let's see. <laughs> also, I, I do love that that was Sam's plan. It was is bury the shells. Yeah. So how do I solve this? Bury them in the yard <laughs> like the dog. Uh, under a, a little bit of dust. <laughs> it's not even burying it, really. Let's face it. It's not much of a plan. No. <laughs> he was he was desperate, and they didn't have a bigger set, so he couldn't you know he couldn't take them somewhere <laughs> there was else to go. Just throw them. You're in Florida. There's a swamp within thirty feet, no matter where you are. Just throw it in the swamp. <laughs> okay, it says here in order to set the primer of a bullet, in order to set off the primer of a bullet, someone would need to bite incredibly hard and incredibly fast with a tooth impacting the primer directly. So I well, mean I guess maybe it's like a dog's bite I think possibility would be. like you know it seems like a very kind of freak thing but all right I need to find a dog I don't really care about and try this <laughs> <laughs> for the love of God no one phone the RSPCA that was a joke <laughs> I, I also oh. want to I want to point out okay <laughs> at the <laughs> at the very end the whole like you could sell fun instead of fear. Al's reaction. <laughs> so fun. Instead of fear, that's great. <laughs> the fakest oh, damn laugh yeah, I've ever heard. <laughs> it was so overblown. It was like it's sarcasm. Like it's the funniest thing he's ever heard. Oh, that's I good. I didn't Sam. understand really it at good. all. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So fun instead of fear. Oh, it looks like you solved it. Like, what was that? <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, no, it's um. It's pretty inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to wrapped up in my love bubble for this one, so maybe I'll rewatch I, with that. Uh... <laughs> I want to know what Dean Stockwell was thinking at that moment. <laughs> well, here's what I really liked about Dean's performance in this one, though, because he was able to speak as someone that has gone through this, this mm-hmm. era of history, as yeah. someone that was on the inside, you know, more yeah. than anything else, saying that he was flying reconnaissance missions and they were going to shoot down the U-2. And when he told Sam... You don't know how close we came. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know enough about the Cuban Missile Crisis per se. I know it in broad strokes to, I don't know, to, to verify the validity of Al's statement there. But it works like gangbusters in the context of the episode. And again, it just it piles on that fear that drives the entire story. And you would think that 
with such sort of a one-note motivation for all of the action that happens in this episode, you think that you would start to see through it, that you would start to get tired of it. Okay, well, here's the next thing that they're afraid of. Here's the next thing that they're afraid of. But it was just so nuanced and it came across so naturally. I just, I, I loved the way the story was constructed. Fear was ever present, but it, it didn't become like an albatross. It was, I, I, is that, does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when when don't you don't have the knowledge that Sam has, you would think it was the end of the world. And that's what people thought back then. And Sam feels that way when he leaps in. When he leaps in, he doesn't know it's a Cuban Missile Crisis. He knows yeah. that he is in a gas mask and there are sirens going off and they're telling mm. him that a bomb is coming down. He thinks it's the end of the world. Until yeah. he knows with the context of what's happening. And so, like, it, it happens to, to everyone. And, and Al points out how he felt during that time because he was old enough to remember he was in the thick of it. True. True. And um, it was a nice new wrinkle for Al because we often hear the most ludicrous things from Al. I was a bum <laughs> on the street and I was hustling pool with magic. And then I joined the circus <laughs> and I was a trapeze artist. And then I went to the orphanage or... Blah, blah, blah. It's always the most implausible Horatio Alger yeah. bullshit. But in this one... <laughs> Cuban Missile Crisis. That's, that's great, Sam. Great. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think in this one, it sort of almost grounded him a little bit, which was nice for me. <laughs> no, he was. He was very, like, he had his head on his shoulders pretty well in this episode. Like, it was not so much comedy about it, but, like, he wasn't just doing exposition dump either. Right, right, because it was something that he had a personal stake into, or at least a personal memory in. So he was able to lend Sam some perspective that Sam just, he didn't have. So... Uh, another strength of the episode. I will continue to gush. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked that bit too. After um after he's talking, Sam's talking to Mrs. Klingman, and uh, Al calls him a real mensch, and yeah. he says, uh, "Yeah, Ruthie used to say it. She never used it about Not me about though." Me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was something like relating his life to it a little bit too. The fact that he had a Jewish wife at one point. Mm. Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice little character turn. I, I find that, that moment in time very interesting, too, um, because I, I never really knew that much about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I remember hearing about, like, fallout shelters yeah, and these weird 50s, 60s time capsules. I remember yeah, there, was a, there was a movie called uh, Blast from the Past. I love that movie. You we remember, yeah, it a lot. with with Brendan Fraser, and <laughs> yeah, he was uh -huh. like raised in the Fallout shelter, and then they yeah. come out, and he's got to adjust to the real world. Um, right. I found that very interesting, and so like just from that point of view, like I I thought the the shelter was a, an interesting part of the story. Well, what was great about Blast from the Past was that it played on all those fifties tropes in an ironic way for comedy. Yet it worked because Brandon Fraser was just so goofy and lovable in it. And for whatever reason, Alicia Silverstone played off him very well, even though it was still Alicia Silverstone. And it was like they took the 90s snark version of what we consider to be the 50s, yet kept some of the heart and, and kept some of the humor where this episode wasn't shitting on that period of time is look how dumb they were. They they kept it in the moment of 
can you imagine how how terrified they were? Mm-hmm. And they're two completely different properties that approach the subject matter in two completely different ways. Yet I think both of them work really well. So I mean, it can you can make fun of this kind of stuff. You 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 can sort of like poke fun and say, uh, look at look at how they used to think back then, but. Then in Blast from the Past, Brandon Fraser is his character uh, Adam. Seems he becomes like a moral center for. How do you even remember the character name Adam and Eve. in Blast yeah, from the Past? <laughs> I've seen it enough times. Nathan Fillion is the dick in that movie. He's I saw great. it. I saw it when it came Jet, out, think, which was right? about you know nineties, two thousand, something like that. Now and it pops up on cable, and Laura likes it, and I enjoy it. So whenever it pops up, we keep it on. So, but I, but I seem to recall more of the joke of that one being the culture clash of the times, rather than you know like fifties is stupid, even though fifties does have some kind of ridiculous things about it. Well, here's the thing: is it's it's the characters in the nineties reacting to Brandon Fraser as, as if he's an idiot, but him just maintaining his earnest. Galios shucks persona throughout that it eventually turns them into more sincere people because he's more sincere so yeah it is kind of a love letter to the the quote nostalgic ideal of what the 50s represented as far Mm -hmm. as heart and home and family but at the same time it was making fun of it throughout the whole movie so it it had its cake and it ate it too okay I, I, i yeah i really thought that movie worked very well so can you tell from my silence i've never heard of these movies (laughs) <laughs> well, that's from the past, Matt. You should watch it. You'd like it. It's cute. I, I it think like f- like fifty shelters is just a very interesting aesthetic to me. The whole mm. like it it is sort of a weird cartoonish version of real life. You know, like they some of them had like fake trees and yards in them, and even more elaborate than what we saw there. And even the stuff here, like um in this episode, uh, I liked all the little details they added to it. Just um. From the set decorating, like the old Kellogg's cornflakes boxes in the background and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Well, there there was one thing in that shelter that really did not belong there. Was it a radio of some sort? It was a radio of some sort. There were actually three <laughs> separate kinds of radios in that shelter. There was Ooh. the Zenith Transoceanic. It's the one that you see on the table prominently throughout the episode in, in the main room of the shelter. It's right there in the leap-in when Sam is on the floor. And that radio actually appeared for the first time and played against Seymour, believe it or not. So that's been on the show before. So they were um, just reusing what they had. Yeah, yeah. I think they kept one of those around for whatever reason. But They probably figured there wouldn't be a radio nerd watching this show <laughs> and spotting the reuse three years later. Well, that radio – no, but what I'm saying is that radio is perfect for the shelter because it's a shortwave mm. set where you can get a lot of different signals from all around the world. But if mm. you go into the bedroom mm. – When they go into the bedroom, you'll see up on the right-hand side of the screen, there is a radio that has also appeared in Quantum Leap. As a matter of fact, it showed up in Heart of a Champion. Um, Let me call up my finder here. I have them up. Okay. All right. So there's the Zenith. That was a 1951 Zenith H500 transoceanic radio. That, you would have that in a shelter. You need something like that in a shelter. But the other one that was in the shelter was a 1960 RCA 1C1E, which first appeared in Jimmy. It was in All Americans. It was in Heart of a Champion. This is just one of the ones that if they needed to dress the set quickly, this radio shows up again and again and again in the background to Quantum Leap. And okay, it's it's a radio, and I guess you need to put something on the set to dress it, but in a fallout situation, how many local radio stations are there going to be? 
You know, it's just, it's a useless prop to have in a shelter underground where you need to get an antenna signal. I, it, it's, it's, um, the radio nerd in me came out. <laughs> I said, okay, you'd have the Zenith, but you wouldn't have that. And, and then there's a little phonograph next to the bunk, which is a beautiful little 1957 RCA 45EY because you would want to play your 45s in the fallout shelter because the kids won't stop and you're going f-ing crazy. You need to put on, you know, the twist or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> A lot of great radios in this episode. There were even a couple in the house that were very nice uh, sets. And um, that's another thing about this episode that speaks to me now as a 49-year-old who has been collecting radios for the last, you know, 20 years or so. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed because you weren't listening for it, but at the end of the air raid siren in the first act when they're all taking off their ponchos and, you know, Sam walks in, the dog Sam walks in and they're taking, good boy, Sam. You hear in the background the announcer saying, well, that was the drill from the Connell Rad Radio Network. We interrupt our normal program to cooperate in security and civil defense measures as requested by the United States government. This is a Connell Rad Radio Alert. Normal broadcasting will now be discontinued for an indefinite period. Civil defense information will be broadcast in most areas at 6.40 and 12.40 on your regular radio receiver. That was the network that the government set up so that if the Russians were going to drop the bomb, it would be on two frequencies. And every radio made in the 50s, even up to the 70s, would have um, little markings, two places on the dial that said CD. And that was for civil defense. For and Christopher D. Christopher D. Philippus, right? <laughs> but they were often marked with a little triangle on the dial so that you knew that if there was an emergency, you could turn to one or the other of those channels. It, the Connell Rad Network would be on and you would be able to get your instructions to get to safety. So it was just another wrinkle of radio history that was just in the background of this that just spoke to the radio nerd in me. So here I go gushing again. So it's just like <laughs> everything about this episode just thrums and sings for me. It's just, it's the greatest. But I can't believe that those sons of bitches put a Xena Flaver 49er <laughs> in that fallout shelter. They knew Idiots. that wasn't accurate to the scene. <laughs> they d- they thought they could distract us with their cornflakes, but thank God, with the cornflakes, CD and, was here. And gas masks. <laughs> he was here to tell us how wrong they were. A stain you- upon a perfect episode. <laughs> a pox upon you, sir. <laughs> They were not selling fun instead of fear. <laughs> they were selling lies. <laughs> All right, I know I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I love, too? <laughs> I didn't even mention the two radios in the house, so... <laughs> <laughs> this is almost perfect timing. This is technically a Halloween episode. I guess, yeah, we're going to come out on the 15th, Halloween. right? They're like, yeah. they're like a few days away or a week away, they mm-hmm. said. So technically, yeah, that's true. Happy Halloween, yeah. kids. Look at that. Nuclear <laughs> annihilation. <laughs> I hope you wear your gray ponchos and your gas masks. Yeah. That dog was great. I love any time they got a dog in the show. Oh, uh, that dog was great. Yeah. Even the dog was great. I mean, so, sometimes dog actors, uh, they're horrible. <laughs> Tersa, bark, bark. Rude <laughs> 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 <Read> the bullet. <laughs> (laughs) 
All right, guys, I have been filibustering for a good hour and 10 minutes at this point. Anyways, according to my recording, um, any thoughts from Matt or Allison regarding <laughs> nuclear family? <laughs> I, honestly, at this stage, I've got nothing to add. You have had, you've, you've created such a, um, such a diverse set of notes around this. Uh, yeah, I, I feel we've covered everything. I don't feel we've covered my discomfort of the little girl uh, and her acting abilities quite enough, but maybe we should go, go, go deeper into this. Why do you think the little girl was so bad? <sighs> I just but, <laughs> again. I just uh, do you hate children? Disclaimer: Do you hate little girls? <laughs> no, because but... you must. <laughs> my daddy doesn't tell lies. But my daddy says they do. Uh, I, I know he did, but. But my daddy's not a liar. Honey, I'm not saying that he is. Yes, you are. My daddy wouldn't lie to me. Kimberly? Oh, she's just... Yeah. (laughs) An actor of that age shouldn't have been given a line like that. I don't think she pulled it off. Um, And it's... She's not... It's not her fault. She was a a little kid. But, um, yeah. That line causes me problems. And that's the only line that causes me problems in the whole episode. It's it's such a good episode. It really stands out as a... As a well, that and Dean Stockwell's laughter at the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't which, notice. Which, yes, I had noticed as well. That's great. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, that I hadn't noticed it before today, but I was watching today and thought, what the hell? Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think like every episode episode should end that way. Something yes. totally not funny happens, but just <laughs> Oh Sam. Oh Sam, you card. <laughs> I think we went pretty deep into this. Um I don't think I have anything else to add. I think like um Chris, you did give me a new appreciation for it, and I think yeah. like watching it knowing it was so formative for you or reminded you of things that were formative for you. It gives me a new take on it. Yeah, that's probably more on target. Reminded me of things that were formative for me and distilled them in such ways that I found very enjoyable in an hour of television. You know, it was, hmm. it was just a good hour of television. Oftentimes in Quantum Leap, you can see the ending coming from a mile away. It seems perfunctory. It seems like, a, but you know, Sam is going to get through it. But I felt a sense of genuine tension in this episode, which which is kind of rare for this show for me. So that's another thing that I have to recommend to Nuclear Family. But, you know, I know that I'm coming at this with a lot of personal stuff. So if you guys, I'm glad you have a new appreciation. Mm. If it's still not pinging your radar, I get it. I get it. This one speaks to me. This was the episode they made for Chris. And it's just <laughs> nice to have that after, you know, Private Dancer or Piano Man, or which was speaking to a completely different segment of the audience. It was the time that my favorite show made an episode just for me. And I will always be grateful for that because I watch it today. It holds up. I still absolutely love it. And here's something you're all sure to love just as equally. I'm going to stop talking for a little while. Um, So we're going to throw it a break. And when we come back, we'll bring you some more great content. We have some feedback and some other great stuff. So stand by.
I'm Gabe. I'm Carlo. And we are the co-hosts of a Month of Mondays podcast. We are the monthly wrestling podcast. Carlo, how do you feel about our podcast? I feel like what this is, Gabe, is a wrestling magazine for our fans out there to take a listen. Uh, a kind of lighter hard side of pro wrestling with some funny stories, some insights, and just to have some fun with you, man. And you know what? That's what I like. I like podcasts where they can just get a little free range. We all have listened to a podcast. It's week to week. that tells you the exact up-to-date news of wrestling. But this gives us a chance to talk about a little bit of the deeper dives of pro wrestling. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momwrestlingpod. On Twitter at Monday's Podcast or at baronsface.com slash momwrestlingpod. You can find this podcast anywhere fine podcasts are given away for free because you don't sell podcasts. If you will. This is Jane Sippet, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Okay, welcome back. And uh, Chris has some great news for us. Yeah, everybody, you know, ring your bells, blow your horns, get your hats. <laughs> we have a new patron on Patreon. His name. Hey, hey right? Hey. So thank you to Mr. David Billman. David joined at the $5 Leaper level, which I think contractually obligates us to mention his name on the show. So, David, here's your mention. Thank you for being a patron on Patreon. Thank you. Thanks so much, dude. We're, we're still planning to do something with Phantom of the Park, are we not? Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. So that will be a Patreon thing. Once, once we have some time. <laughs> <laughs> time is always the key, right? I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I can't either. I think I saw it back in 1978, maybe. Well, it holds up very, very well. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys can check that out eventually at patreon.com slash Podcast. Thank you to David Billman for ponying up and uh, contributing to the show. All of the money that we raise goes to defraying server costs and to keeping the show uh, streaming for your enjoyment. So thank you one and all to those of you who support us. And, you know, we also, we don't just take your money. We also give. I have an announcement to make. Anyone? No? <laughs> What's hmm? the announcement, Chris? <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Uh. Oh, sorry, you were looking for reaction. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't you should have warned me. I'm looking at the notes. I know what the announcement is. To... Yeah. <laughs> we have a series Blu-ray to give away. We're giving away Quantum Leap, the complete series on Blu-ray <gasps> to uh, another listener. And he actually won. A, it wasn't a contest. It was sort of a call to action. About, oh, I don't know, two or three months ago, we switched servers, or anyway, Albi switched servers, and it turns out that we lost a lot of the old shows in the process. So um, when we, we discovered that people's feeds were coming up as 404, file not found, Albi put a call out on Facebook just to see if anyone had MP3 files of those old shows that they could give us. And as an incentive, he said that he would offer the complete series Blu-ray to anyone who could help us substantially. And what do you know? Someone came through. So let's uh, get our hats and our horns and clap again for a long time Quantum Leap podcast listener, Father Beast. Father Beast, thank you. You rock. He came through with 13 shows. 
And I'm happy to hear that because one of those shows was the Quantum Leap Podcast 112263 crossover episode that we did about Lee Harvey Oswald. And look, I was a host of 112263 and I don't even have that episode. So I'm, I'm happy to have that back because I remember doing that and having a lot of fun with it. I, I guess you probably had the raw files though, so you could have just edited it from scratch. That would have been fun. You would think that, but it was a four-way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a lot of fun. It was a it was a four-way recording between Albie, Juan, me, and Skipper Morton, who was my co-host on eleven twenty-two sixty-three. So, I only had my side of the conversation. I I could have sworn up and down that I had the entire show because I was editing at that point. But I guess Albie took the lead on that one because it was more of a quantum leap podcast thing at that point. And I was, oh, and there goes the fire alarm. Hang on. Uh, can you guys hear it? Yeah. A little yep. bit, yeah. Sounds like nuclear family out here. <laughs> <laughs> the Russians! It's the commies! <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to die! It's Bert the now, Turtle! Now, listen. You're meant to be selling fun now, not fear. <laughs> <laughs> fun instead of fear! That's great! <laughs> Alright, it's dying down. I think we're good. By the way, uh, Father Beast, what a name. That's right. great. Yeah. <laughs> Father Beast. I love it. I feel like it's some forest spirit. Yeah, I always imagine some kind of werewolf vicar. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the villain from uh, Silver Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll leave all of this in. So um, how should I surmise this? I guess thank you to Father Beast. Yes, thank you for saving that stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of great stuff in there, and not just the 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 good uh podcasting going on from uh Albie and Heather and and Chris and and Juan and everyone who's been involved, but um all the interviews and stuff too. I feel like it'd be sad to lose yeah. that stuff. There's lots of uh great tidbits about the show. So do we do we have everything back now or is uh, do we still have gaps? I think we still have a couple of holes to fill. But um, I, one thing that I'm especially happy to see back are the fan fiction mm. submissions, because uh, people worked hard on those, and we were happy at the response that we got. So I'm glad that those live again on the feed, because it just shows the, the level of the fandom and the dedication of our fans. So thanks to everyone, and thank you to Father Beast. I'm pretty sure he probably got his Blu-ray by this point. But if you haven't, just contact us via email and let us know. We have a tracking number and everything, so... Now he can uh, he can listen to all of the original music as intended. <gasps> That's Yay. right. Except for Disco Inferno. The oh. forbidden disco episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing they didn't do a Lombata episode. <laughs> anyway. Racy. Right. So where does that leave us? I guess uh, we have we have one email. That we got, and mm. I wanted I wanted to read it because I think it's apropos considering that um, we've been talking about some similar subject matter on recent shows like Private Dancer, and uh, this is actually a response to someone who listened to the Kamikaze Kid episode recently. Um, who wants to take it? I can read it. This comes from Rebecca May. She says, hello there. I saw that you mentioned ncadv.org here. And then she links to Kamikaze Kid. And I wanted to share my gratitude concerning your work on the promotion of women. I want to suggest you also share an important guide on women's safety online, which came out recently. It was written by women for women and empowers women to protect themselves online. And then she links to that, which uh, I'm assuming we'll have linked somewhere. We certainly will on the website at quantumleappodcast.com. 
All right. And she concludes with, I liked the way they gave a few tips for each situation and actionable items. Thanks for helping protect women online, Rebecca. Well, that's great. Thank you for that link, Rebecca. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, I, I seem to recall it's been years since I listened to the Kamikaze Kid episode. That's when I first discovered the podcast and mm-hmm. I was walking my dog and around my neighborhood and just getting to know mm-hmm. Albie and Heather. And I recall that they did a special interview with someone um, regarding spousal abuse or, or, or you know, um, uh, violence towards women. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was really going above and beyond and like taking the reins of, of what the theme of the episode was and turning it into more of a positive And um, I'm glad that people are still continuing to discover it to this day. So, again, it shows the value of having those old episodes up on the feed. Hmm. Uh, And I'm glad that this is a link for uh, safety for women online because uh, it it goes into some more uh, a modern version of what was happening in that episode. You know, Uh, it's something that a lot of women have to worry about nowadays uh, and <laughs> me particularly as well so uh, i think it's great to to have some sort of guide to direct people to yeah so everybody again go to our website at quantumleappodcast.com and check out the link uh internet safety guide for women um hopefully it'll do some good for somebody somewhere for one of you listeners out there who might be having a problem so thank you rebecca may for reaching out and if you want to be like rebecca and like father beast and even like our new patreon patron david billman there are many ways you can reach us here at the quantum leap podcast You can reach us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. So we hope we hear from you. And Allison, can you tell us what's next? Well, we're going from your favorite episode, Chris, to my favorite episode. What? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> your favorite episode. <laughs> oh, Allison, Allison, that's a good oh, one. A good one. <laughs> <laughs> from these to yours. <laughs> you card. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish I could say something as as nuanced or um well put as as you Chris about why it's my favorite but I think we'll get into it uh when we watch the episode because next it's shock theater Masters wanted me to calm him down. So I'm gonna calm him down. You're not giving him shock treatment. Shock? You watch me. What? Wait a minute. You know the rules. Only a doctor is allowed to administer shock. A doctor told me to do it, and that's close enough. Just wait a second. I want to go get Dr. Masters, okay? No, you can't do that. That's too high. You'll kill him. Jimmy Shaco or Sam go back to the future forever. <laughs> <laughs> You're a loony tune. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Stop. So much to love from this episode. Are we going to have a sing-along? Oh, man, this is going to be good. I'm ready. There's, there's one in the cards. There's one in the future. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, Allison, as much as I love Nuclear Family, um, I said there are some episodes I love equally as much. Just not on such a personal level, and Chalk Theater's got to be up there for me too. So I can't wait to talk to you about this yeah. one, Matt. What yeah, do you think? it's it's a classic, and it's a classic it for is. so many obvious reasons. But I think we'll, um, yeah, we'll we'll find a lot to talk about. So, guys, did I do it justice? I know I was gushing, but y- you get it now, right? You get it. We get it. We get it. We get All right. it. <laughs> I'm still in a safe space. We love you, Chris. Maybe not as safe as a fallout shelter, but safer than a picnic blanket. <laughs> oh my god hey i'm christy philippus i'm allison pregler and i'm matt dale and we'll see you next time everyone picnic blanket notwithstanding duck and cover <laughs> remember what to do friends now tell me right out loud what are you supposed to do when you see the flash duck <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. That's great. <laughs> 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 <laughs>